0: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. My name is Jeff Fader, and I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much. I can't believe it. This is episode four. And the first three episodes I had to backfill because we started to do this uh, before we uh, uh, launched the Maker re Podcast Network. And thanks again f- to Craig for all this. And I kind of took a couple, uh, like a week or two off because I was like a month behind. And I thought, let's just hold off a second. So I'm super happy because as soon as we caught on to um, uh, iTunes we kind of went straight into number five in the, uh, American hobbies. And I can't thank you enough for subscribing, for leaving nice messages and following, um, at, on Instagram at the full blast podcast. And, and I'm really happy. And that's not the only reason why I'm happy. I'm really happy because I have my first guest here who I am so happy to have here. My guest is this wonderful person. He's my friend. His name is Jamie Montgomery. He's an artist. He a dancer. He's a, he. Uh, he and I had a he and I. We were roommates together in college. We had a metal shop together in the '90s in Brooklyn, and he went to architecture school. He's a professional architect, and now he works for the Philadelphia Museum of Contemporary Art as an exhibit coordinator, exhibit director. Is that right, Jamie?
1: I'm an exhibition designer at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. No, oh. not, not just contemporary, but the whole the whole gamut.
0: Well, I'm so thankful for you that you're here. What's going on?
1: Well, you know, just trying to get through this mess. But is I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: A lot of messes. You were my, you were the best man at my wedding.
1: That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was. That was an interesting time. So what? what so, back when.
0: so when we went to college together, and you were an art major, and you you know art and being creative. I mean, this is a this podcast network is for. You know, makers is the makery. So you're I consider you one of the great makers. I've always known you with a lot of style and, and, and sense and stuff like that. What what really is about creating things that really that you that you love?
1: Uh well, I guess I've always loved making stuff. Um but I, you know, I, I think having my hands on things is a big part of how I sort of navigate the world. Um and I didn't really know that about myself until I mean until basically when we were friends Uh, I grew up you know working construction and my dad was a architect but also a builder and a maker and a doer and whatnot but I didn't I didn't really tap into that side of myself until I sort of discovered art making and it was by totally by chance um and I just realized how much I liked making things using my hands and my mind to sort of express myself and I just kind of it opened me up in a big way and I've just been um, sort of embracing different ways of making things since then you know uh, it's kind of I I I try to get my hands dirty and I I respond to things you know with my brain in, in the third dimension and I think through learning about sculpture and learning about, um, art making in general, it just, uh, got me making things and I can't, can't really stop.
0: Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, and I have no experience with architecture whatsoever, but I, but I do know that, you know, when you talk about like making things, the difference between being a maker or craftsman and being a sculptor or an artist, there's a, there's a big difference, but going from being an artist, you know, where you're expressing yourself to being involved in architecture and design. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a totally different language. It,
1: it is. And I think, in fact, my, the way my trajectory went from art making and then I, I, you know, like when we were working, we had our shop and we, we were making things and doing lots of odd jobs and getting our, <laughs> getting into trouble um, and trying to keep ourselves out of trouble. Um, I ended up working, you know, um, in places that were around design sort of at just odd jobs doing construction in art museums and stuff and it got me thinking like I needed I wanted to sort of approach making things from a slightly more professional um, track you know and so I went to architecture school thinking like that's how I was going to marry my my sense of building and my sense of art and sort of mash them up together you know the the old the old adage of the master the architect as the master builder you know in order to make things you have to know about them first and right. then you can make great things if you know about them and how they're how they're you know sort of meant to be materially and structurally and all this stuff and when i got into school the school was basically design school it wasn't i didn't learn shit about arch, being about art, architecture per se i learned about design and i learned about what's bad You know, and and then I got out of school and I started working in the field of architecture. And I was like, you know what, this is for the fucking birds. (laughs) Because, no, you know, everyone I knew, they didn't design shit for years, you know. And I was just like, that's not why I went to school, to to be trapped in this place where you don't actually make anything. You just kind of make plans and then the contractor throws them out the window and does whatever they want. Or... You have to like shoehorn your way into negotiations and try to make sure you're a part of the process. And it just really wasn't for me. And so I I went from architecture to started doing a design build practice where I was you know, I would do the design work and then I would build it or be a part of the building of it, you know, whether it's like the just the small details, the sculptural stuff or you know, making the metal work, which I enjoyed to incorporate in all my projects or lots as many projects as I could. Um and I think in doing that, I it got it satisfied it scratched my it scratched the itch, you know, to yeah. make and to also be on the sort of more professional side of the of the coin. But then um this, you know, I got Basically, the opportunity to, to work at an art museum doing design work, and that was like that's the perfect marriage in a way for me because it it enabled me to kind of think about because in an art museum or in when you're designing an exhibition for for art, the art is the kind of the client. The art is the big constraint, right. and you want to everything you do is kind of in service of that. And um, and it was kind of a load off. In, in, in some ways to to know that you know it, you weren't you didn't have to like shine per se you needed to shine enough to let the art really shine and right. was your job and like that's an awesome task to have and then you know you're you're essentially storytelling you're finding ways to tell stories that connect people to things and create spaces so they can sort of relax and enjoy the whatever the artwork that's being presented is and you're, you're kind of designing frameworks and spaces for people to to relax, you know, right. and to pay attention and to like keep them involved and to, you know, to learn. And that was like, and but and you can use funky colors and crazy materials and and all this stuff to kind of do that. And it just felt in a way way more sculptural than yeah. actually making architecture um, because most people, most clients aren't really ready to go there or they can't afford it or whatever, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, design for art is. Of kind of an amazing field
0: well it's it's the unsung hero of my uh, of the way you see work i mean you can see yeah. a real piece of dog shit, and and then if it's curated nicely you got something you got a nice piece of dog shit. you know it, <laughs> it, it's, it's i'm telling you i've been to i've been to so many shows with my family and we'll talk about the work and i'll say if this was curated differently this is the worst piece of shit i've ever seen in my life yeah And I, and I, I, so I always think that like, especially when you go to museums, like the Guggenheim, the Guggenheim is one of those places in New York where it's, it's a, it's a giant spiral and you can walk down or go up and it's, it's curated in a manner where the curation is as important, if not more important than the work itself. So Mm. I would imagine for you, it's very, um, rewarding.
1: Yeah, for sure. I also love the Guggenheim. That was where I. That was the museum I started working in, and and sort oh, really? of fell in love oh, yeah. with the idea of, of of working in museums um, because it was just such an amazing place to be all day. You know, you're like in this, even though it's at like a what, three degree pitch. So your one leg is more tired than the other. <laughs> Um, and, but you, le- you learn how to see level, which is kind of an interesting thing. I, I got a really ac- acute sense of seeing, you know, what's level and what's out of, out of level. I will um, definitely
0: say that the, my favorite shows have ever seen, that favorite art shows I've ever seen have been both of them in the Guggenheim. Oh yeah. What were they? It was, one was the Cree master cycle, Matt Bar- Matthew yeah. Barney. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about that fucking thing? No. no. I, I got so drunk the night before <laughs>
1: Oh, man. <laughs> it's not the I, right word to get drunk before. You just, uh, well, I didn't. Well, it's better than well, taking mushrooms or something. Really, <laughs> really, really I am.
0: mind. Well, all right. So Matthew Barney. I don't know if he's still married to Bjork. 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 I, I don't think so. All right. So it was former, the former husband, the former husband of Bjork, and he is an incredible sculptor. He did these, uh, well, artists because he did these, you know, thematic, um, these giant thematic. There was film, and then there was, yeah. uh, you know thematic like
1: fashion
0: in a way i mean it was like all over the place i mean it was like, like he created yeah. an environment so yeah. the night before i was in a restaurant with some chef friends of mine and these guys got me so fucking drunk mm. and and it was i just left the restaurant business and then they rolled me on to the train station. they rolled me onto the train i had i had bottles of beer in my pockets and they <laughs> rolled me on the train a drunk train if you mm-hmm. live in, you know, every t- every city has a drunk train. That's the yeah. last train to get you home. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, just don't fall asleep. I was drunk. And I always think that the people in those, on those trains, the conductors have done something wrong. They have to yeah. work the last it's like train. It's their
1: punishment.
0: It's their punishment. And um, I just remember missing my stop. I fell asleep through my stop and I got off. And I could have walked. It was like a three mile walk. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I think I know where I am. And I'm just, I'm stumbling around, taking a leak everywhere. I'm just a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fucking mess, and then and then um all of a sudden I was like, I don't know where I am. I called Hillary, called my wife, at <laughs> fucking three o'clock in the morning, saying, Uh-oh. I'm drunk on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I got off the wrong stop. But you're drunk were in on the, the bar,
1: highway,
0: so that's good. Was she? Yeah, she. So she came and she showed up. She put basically put a raincoat on over her over her nightgown nice. and he got in the car. And if I had just walked up the hill, I would have seen our house. <laughs> so I, fucking, I made her walk. I made her drive. Like, I, I basically six, was at, six feet. a half a mile from our house. I would have been fine. And then the next morning, I felt so bad that I got up and I was like, all right, let's just do whatever you want to do. And she's like, well, I want to go to this show in New York at the Guggenheim. This is Matthew Barney show, the Cree Master Cycle. The Cree Master, the Cree Master Cycle is, is a reference to the testicles descending. So we, I was like, all right, well, I don't give a, whatever you say. I'm, I'm still having the bag by the time we got to Guggenheim, and it was an incredible show. And at one point, I, I said to Hillary, like, I don't know if I'm still drunk or what. This thing is incredible. They were, they had these paraplegic, um, not paraplegic. They had these. Um, Olympians who had, you know, had uh, some sort of, they didn't have legs, so they made these, like, jaguar legs for them, and they were running Mm -hmm. around with these jaguar legs, and there was videos, and there was videos of Richard Serra pouring molten, you know, wax down the, you know, the hallways of the Guggenheim. It was, the whole thing was totally bananas, but it was my favorite thing. But I remember being still drunk when I got there.
1: Yeah, that'll do it.
0: <laughs> that I didn't see that. that
1: show. I was bummed. I didn't
0: see it, and yeah, I missed that one. That was a mind blower. Yeah. So, um, I, I what what what's going on in Philadelphia now? Are you are you are you working at the museum
1: now? Or well, the museum is essentially closed. Uh, you know, they basically didn't obviously couldn't be open. Um, right. You know, no museum in the. Well, now a few are opening in Europe and in Asia and stuff, but like really, you know, no museums in the country are really open. And um, and so our our directors and stuff said, well, at first they were like, you guys could you go home and we'll be open in two weeks. You know, we'll, we'll come back in two weeks. And we, I was just like, no, you're not. You don't know shit. You know, <laughs> this, this thing is unfolding day by day. And it's dumb to announce any date because it's going to be wrong when that you know maybe tomorrow or maybe by the time we hang up the phone and um, so anyway they ended up announcing that the museum was going to be closed through june 30th which is essentially the and, and all staff were, were, would maintain their jobs you know we, we took a pay cut but we all are getting paid you know through june 30th which happens to be the end of the fiscal year so July 1st we shall see what happens I don't know oh, yeah. I mean I, I know that um, they've cancelled like all the public programs and things you know through through the end of the calendar year so whoever there's lots of people who work on that side of the you know on that side of the um, museum programming and stuff and they're they're trying to make themselves relevant you know and before before they get shit canned but it's um, it's it, it doesn't feel very good right now yeah. and for, for, for a lot of people who work there. No, um, of course. I've, and the exhibition schedules, have, because they are, um, they are so far in advance, you plan, you know, up to like one to five years or maybe even ten years in advance. So, things, depending on the scale and size, take forever to plan, especially if they're global in some way. Like, a lot of the loans that have to be coordinated from throughout the world. Um, and, um, so basically, the they don't, we don't really know what's going to happen. But I'm, the only thing I do take some solace in for my own personal well being is that the next show that's going to be up is the show that I'm working on. So they can't fire me <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm too, far in,
0: too far into it. You're too deep in. You're I'm too deep, deep and they in the get yeah. it, get rid of. You? I mean, that's if good. They,
1: if they do that, you know it, it would be surprising. So. I at least feel a little bit good about that. But right now, you know, I take, I'm in like one to two meetings a, a week and I'm basically getting paid to work on my house. That's great. Which is great. <laughs> yeah, which is great. I'm trying to make the most of it.
0: You that's know? great. That's great. Yeah. I, and he's drinking it. He's having a little sip of whiskey while I he podcast. <laughs> he's here with me. Shh. I mean, right. he's doing nothing.
1: Yeah, that's right. So,
0: so you, Jamie yeah. and I, Jamie and I have a, have a, have a, have a, I would say that of all the people that I know, I've been loaded more times with you than anybody else, <laughs> really? Yeah,
1: wow, uh, yeah. Well, we spent like two years basically being loaded, yeah, the whole time. It's true. Um, I remember I was thinking about it today because I was remembering um, my 21st birthday, which, um, not only was that momentous, obvious for obvious reasons, but, um, I remember being real goofy drunk, and I remember not much else except for passing out. It made it into my bed, which is good. That is good. And when I woke, when I woke up in the morning, um, Jeff, for those of you who don't know, in Jeff's uh, sculptures that aren't fishing lure-based, um, he used to make lots of sculpture that was essentially assemblages of welded metal that you know, took on forms, and there were, like, lots of animals. And well, you've seen probably the, the birds that Jeff's made and stuff, but... Um, who, are t- who are you
0: talking to? I don't I'm talking, this fucking to, <laughs> talking, <laughs> to the,
1: talking to the people. No, anyway. Go ahead, go All ahead. Right, so, so, Jeff, I, I remember uh, you had this one giant sculpture yeah. that was, like, a big, sort of homunculus man with a TV jammed on his head. <laughs> no. Do you remember that? Thing? No, it
0: wasn't in his head. <laughs> that was... That it was in stomach. I thought we jammed, oh, maybe we relocated it to I, his head.
1: Maybe I, once you once you got your grade and we took it into our apartment or something. I tell I you it what, on his head, but I don't. I, I, I tell you what, remember.
0: there were the, there were a couple. You know what? You were right. There were a couple of different sculptures, and what I would do was, I did this old a daisy because <laughs> I hated the classes that I was taking, but I loved the sculpture classes. And what yeah. I would do was I would kind of, all of a sudden I started sussing out. The teachers wanted us to, to be creative in regards to what we were doing. So they, they were interested in not just a paper. I mean, I'm sure most of those guys were like sick of reading papers. Yeah. So I had, had a few oh. teachers, mm-hmm. I started to do the old, Hey, I got a great idea.
1: I'm good at this.
0: <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I said I'd no, lo- I love. No, you can't. You can't just say I'm good at. It. You gotta say I'm so into this. I'm so into this class that I want to make a sculpture in lieu of this final, you know, paper. Yeah. And there was two TV papers. There were two TV sculptures. <laughs> one of them, I don't remember the one that you're talking about. I remember. I remember there were a couple, the the same TV was on two different sculpture heads. And the thing is about with steel is you just cut that fucking thing up. So I was in a woman's study class and I wasn't really thrilled about it in general just because it wasn't really, I mean, it was good, but it was just like, I didn't want to be in any science classes. I was such a bad student, Um, but I, I always felt like, In the back of my mind, I thought I have to do well because somebody could be taking my spot. That's the only reason why I didn't Mm. just flunk out. I felt Mm. guilty. I, I, I tried to do well out of guilt. And then I talked to the teacher of the women's study class. I said, I have this great idea. Why don't I make a pregnant man sculpture? Oh, yeah. And then the stomach would remove and there would be a TV and a VCR inside playing you know like <laughs> the video of the yeah. sperm inseminating oh, the eggs and I went to the, the shop and I built this giant fat man it's and then I huge. put a hinge on the stomach and it was all just, and it was all scrap steel, just MIG welded yeah. together, whatever you could find. Or, you know, you, you, it wasn't like, let me, let me TIG weld these yeah, joints yeah. together. It was like, just stick it on, get it on there, come on, man. There was like, you know, little MIG spatter everywhere. There's little bits of wire because like, you know, when it was just fucking, just, get it bigger. It's got to be life-size, yeah. throw that steel on. And I just remember having, how are we going to tell it's a woman? And I just put a mustache on it. <laughs> I just put a big steel handlebar mustache and a little bitty penis, (laughs) and and then we delivered it, and she loved it, and the class loved it. And then when I had to get when then we put they kept it in the area for a while. It was I think Mm -hmm. it was an ugly was a fucking ugly. It was me just getting out of having to write a paper. Yeah. And then um, when we had to get rid of it, I just kicked it down the stairs and then it crushed into a couple of pieces. And then it allowed me to bring it to the car easier because it was, you know, six feet tall. <laughs> yeah. Kicked it down it the stairs. Kicked that old pregnant 16, man down the so. stairs. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, because it, it found out its way to our apartment and reassembled yeah. at some point. And I remember the jamming, the plugging the TV in and the VCR in. And I, I don't remember if it was just for fun or, or what. But I remember, on my twenty-first birthday, you shook my ass up the day after. Oh no, it I was it was my birthday because we went to the bar and you know starting at midnight uh, when I was quote unquote legal, and uh, I got real ripper and drunk, and I think so did everybody. But you woke me up on my birthday and said, "Wake up, wake up! You got to go upstairs. I made you breakfast." And so I really? go upstairs. Yeah, and so we go upstairs. Because uh, we, you know, we had a second floor in that fancy apartment. Oh, uh, yeah, E1. <laughs> and that you had that fucking sculpture, and you had a video on, and you pressed play. You didn't have any, make me any fucking breakfast. You just pressed play, and you had made a video. You walked around campus with a VCR, and you went around and, and asked all these people to, like, um, to wish me happy birthday. And... It was like 50 people. I mean, it was so awesome. I just remember, I remember, I remember being shit-faced drunk still, <laughs> puke, like, crusted up on my lips. <laughs> and, uh, and watching this video and just feeling so happy at the same time. Feeling so much like, I don't know, I, I really felt a lot of love at that moment. Um, and I remember you, you went, you even got the, um, you got there was another guy. I remember the old man who was like – I don't even know what his story was exactly. I don't remember. He was like an ex-poet or something. He just hung around a, a tiny little college town with only 500 people in it, and his name was also James Montgomery. Huh. Remember that dude? No, I don't – dude,
0: I don't remember any of this. <laughs> well, you sure it was me?
1: I'm positive. Sounds because, too
0: nice. No,
1: you did. You, you made And you had, you had him, and he's like, happy Montgomery, James Montgomery, from James Montgomery. And you even you even had the sheriff uh, wish me happy birthday, and he had just given me a ticket <laughs> for holding on to a car riding through town wearing roller skates. No, uh, <laughs> oh, wait, was, wait
0: what, you were <laughs> what, uh, you were holding on to a car wearing roller skates. Of, I was
1: holding on the back of Kate Kelly's Nissan Pathfinder as I as she rode down down the she street. She should have gotten the ticket. Yeah, they gave me the ticket because right. I was the idiot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah it was me and margaret emery were horsing around roller skating in the middle of the street when Kate came so did he wish happy birthday too i, he I don't, happy I don't birthday remember any too. of this and then the very, you say you you go through it, all these people, it was a right. beautiful thing and then you say and and your last the last photo the last like little segment was me passed out on <laughs> on my bed with with puke like
0: get out of stained here
1: stained on the fucking sheet <laughs> And you like, look at you. You're a mess. You're a mess. You're the worst. You're the best. I love you so much. And then it was like the end. But no, that sounds like me too. It. You do?
0: Yeah. That definitely it. sounds like me at the end. Well, yeah, it was, yeah.
1: <laughs> it was great. That um, definitely anyway, sounds like me at the end. But I remember seeing that in that goofy sculpture. Uh, whether it was in the belly or the head, I, I don't remember, but well, yeah. So I understand. Th- there's that. Jeff's a very nice person.
0: All right. Yeah, I, I'm trying to portray myself once as a, or twice. At least once or twice. I, I try to portray myself as a garbage human being. Thank you well, very you are, much. You are, You're spoiling you are. it. You're spoiling <laughs> yeah.
1: it. Well, you, you maybe you spent you spent all your you know your your capital when you before you were that's right really that idiot. i'm telling oh, you this
0: man. i'm telling you that i don't remember being that nice i don't remember <laughs> it at all but i'll take it i'll take it
1: yeah it was the last
0: time <laughs> so i i thought we i you know gonna getting this podcast together and telling stories and stuff again i thought i, I really really wanted there to be um some uh listener um Involvement, And that's one of the things about Knife Talk that's so great is we have great listeners and, and, they, and they contribute. So instead of just asking questions, I thought maybe I could propose to our listeners to, uh, to give me their dilemma, any kind of dilemma. And then we would look at the dilemmas and that we would, you know, read them and kind of mull them around. And and give an answer. Some of these people have some serious dilemmas. Would not you sure. like to Would you like to read off some dilemmas?
1: With the mommy Pops.
0: Do you <laughs> with the <a> what?
1: <laughs> I said whip a me.
0: All right, whip a you. All right. So here's the first dilemma. The first dilemma comes from um, Liam Penn. Liam Penn. This is the first one. Uh, here's my dilemma. When shit happens in the world and people on Instagram get fired up, I try not to get involved. And I stay professional. The problem is is that I'm very opinionated and I want to get fired up and unleash hell against the people on the internet I disagree with. Hmm. I want to light people up without hurting my business. What should I do? Hmm.
1: Well, you're in this dilemma probably all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to get mad. You live there. Well, it's, I remember my dad said, and I'm sure many people have various... Um, incantations of this saying but opinions are like assholes everyone's got one and everyone's else's but mine stink
0: (laughs) that old gag i love the old asshole gag
1: Uh, the old asshole gag
0: (laughs) i i gotta tell you you know the funny thing is is when i first started with social media in the beginning i really really was just trying to communicate with family members i didn't want to actually have to talk to yeah me too and It was a great way for them to just see what we're doing. We don't need to get we don't need to get together anymore because you, yeah. you see what I'm doing. Everything's. That's right. We don't need to we don't need to make a mess of it. You can see what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And it was a great way to keep people informed. And then yeah. you start taking pictures of food and then you start doing this and you start doing that. <laughs> and then I realized, I mean, my business, fader knives, came out of Facebook because mm-hmm. I would just when I first started making knives, I would post a picture of the knife and then someone says, I want one of those. It was the only way for people to actually see what I was doing. So I really started to go from showing my family to my family to business immediately. Mm-hmm. And my personal opinion, especially when with, we deal with a lot of younger guys who are getting into knife making and sculpture and all this stuff, and they're getting into using social media as a business, my p- personal opinion is just don't get involved. Because yeah, like too. you, uh, I, I tell you what, I refuse to get into these arguments with people because I, I, I find that a lot of the things that people say in general are regurgitated nonsense That they, that they, it's almost like they find a meme and when they post it in their mind, they think that people will think that I created this meme. Yeah. And it's just, it's infuriating.
1: Yeah.
0: You know? I hear you.
1: I mean, I think the, obviously the internet is full of people who, you know, they, everyone's uh, really brave when they're sitting at their phone or sitting at their computer and they, you know, read something that they either agree with or disagree with and they feel like the world is listening and this is their chance to fucking drop their knowledge on the world it happens so often and i have zero zero time for it i feel like re engaging in that type of battle is 100 percent wasted energy you could spend so you could spend your time doing so many more productive things in the world or, or non-productive just you know whatever just whacking off or
0: whatever
1: yeah come uh, on Liam you could be jerking <laughs> off instead of arguing with <laughs> people on the
0: internet what's the matter exactly. with
1: you exactly I mean you know it's like
0: <laughs> who needs
1: it? it it's just because there's it's a one-way every every internet argument is um, essentially a one-way argument you know even if it's happening in real time and you're kind of bantering back and forth in YouTube comments or whatever the fuck you're you're trying to do it just you're it's you're arguing with people who will never really see your point of view and even right. if they will it's just it's not the way you want to engage in conversation no. It's because it's not really a, it's usually not yeah, even it, a conversation you know you're kind of I don't know
0: P.S. Waste of time. P.S. Liam, I actually have sent uh, writer friends of mine to other makers mm. and who are, you know, right. Here's the funny thing. All you people think that writers have like too much to do. Writers are looking for things to write about. So they're always fascinated with people who do things. And I have a few friends of mine who are writers that, you know, they're sending a message, you know, who does this? You know, anybody who does this. And I'm constantly sending people to uh, writers, to friends of mine who are in the business of making things. Mm. And then what they'll do first is they'll look at their Instagram or they'll look at their Facebook and then they'll get back to me and say, he seems crazy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) this guy seems like he's not really the kind of person we want to be talking with. So, I have totally, I know at least two experiences where I've had writer friends who I say, yeah, he does good stuff, but I, that person seems kind of unhinged. So my <laughs> yeah. opinion is, is my personal opinion is, is to, is to just don't get, this just what Jamie said, don't get bothered with it and, and focus, use the internet for, for the, 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 the use social media for the, the, the gain of your business. Yeah. Because no, honestly, I tell people all this all the time, I don't talk about politics because I don't want to hear your, Talk, talk about yeah. I have no interest in what you have to say. Not you, Jamie But but it's it's always I guess, like I don't want a response. I don't want a yeah. I don't want to argue.
1: I, I mean, I think you know that's a that's healthy advice for anything. Is like you engage with the stuff that feels positive and healthy for you. Right. And then you're going to care more about it, and it's going to you know um, if if you're just if you're arguing with people and like you know it's, it's wasted energy. It's a waste. It's a waste.
0: Do you want to read the next question? Or you want me to? No, you read it. You okay. Read it. This comes from FD Knives. Hey, man, I have a dilemma. I think FD is down. He's down South America. Hey, he man, I have a dilemma. South America. He oh, is in South America. I think he might be in Brazil. Um, hey, man, I have a dilemma. I have a lot of orders, but I really want to try to do new stuff, but I can't find the balance. What should I do? How do you, hmm. how do you, how do you find balance in terms of being creative and kind of making the things that you're supposed to be making?
1: Hmm. Well, I think
0: I feel like um he's really thick eyes. He, if you can see, he's, got, <laughs> he's pushing his fingers on his yeah. lips. He's looking in the air. He's hoping for something. Oh, he's wow. hoping for some lightning bolt to come down. Yeah. I could tell. I could tell. He's like, let me think about this for a second. Say, While you think about it, I'll just tell you what I do. I schedule out time to fuck around. Because yeah. I have, in order for this business to to do well, I have to have a certain amount of volume done. So if I can organize myself in terms of my day and my week and then my month, and then I'll be able to have some time to fool around. I'm also lucky that my business partner wants me to fuck around because that's when we come up with some good ideas. So yeah. I try to like really put, in, put into uh, stone, I try to put into stone time for me to kind of fool around. Because otherwise... Um, what happens is if I'm not scheduled to do, all right, today I'm going to be grinding, tomorrow I'm going to be heat treating, the next day I'm going to do this. If I don't do that, I could, I mean, I have, I have a pile of hammer blanks. I want to make hammers. Yeah. And that's just not really what I should be doing right now. Yeah. But like, you know, I think that's very important to schedule time and that be as important as the time you spend on other things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, I think what I would do too is, yeah you you know creative play is is a huge I think is a huge there's a huge benefit to creative play I and mean, let let yourself just freestyle and um, just see what comes out. I mean, I think I don't remember who said it, but you know half of making I think they were talking about art when they said this, but like half of making art is just showing up and showing up to the studio and just doing it, you know yeah. just sh- just giving yourself the space and the time, like you said to just do something and then just, you know, um, give yourself enough time to, that you feel like you're trying something, experimenting, pushing the envelope and then focus the rest of your time on the stuff that you quote unquote have to do.
0: There you go. All right. There you go. Solve your problem right there. (laughs) All right. Next question comes from Tretton knives. Maybe this is too serious, but children, should I force shop time on my kids to get them off their asses and off their computers and iPads? Will they resent me stopping them playing with their friends if I do? Is it worth the time to give them some practical skills? So he wants to rip the iPads off those kids and want to throw them into the shop and make them work. Yeah. You well, think it's worth it?
1: I think it's – I mean, I think get learning how to use your hands is – Will benefit you in so many aspects of life um, that you know. I don't think you necessarily need to train them to be shop hands or you know train them to be knife makers or whatever whatever it is that your you know your craft is. But but teaching people how to um, problem solve in 3D or to to use tools is um, a trans you know a transferable skill to so many things that um, I think you know just pushing around on the ipad or you know you're going to do enough of that in your life regardless of what you what you try to do you're you're end up gonna you're gonna end up sitting in front of a screen and um you know i think i feel like it's it's wise to get people thinking with their thinking with their hands i mean even if they're little tiny kids
0: i don't mean to interrupt you but just to let you guys know how legit jamie is I can hear the ice cream truck on his street you right you outside. I wow, can you hear the ice cream truck. Brother. I hope you can hear it too. This is legit Philly water <laughs> ice. We're going to have some water ice.
1: Water? Water, water ice. ice.
0: Uh, yeah, my wow, my opinion. That. It was time. time my 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 opinion is is don't force your kids to do anything because I, I think that they they do not a lot of kids will not be interested at all in what you're doing. <laughs> my true. kid helped me in the shop one time one day, and she helped me for she helped me. Uh, forge a collar down it was like five to six hits and I really kind of backed off but really it was something that she wasn't that interested in That's my true. personal opinion is is to give them all sorts of ideas in which they can do help them support them and help find what they want to do but I tell you this <laughs> don't 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 rip them, you rip them iPads out and you stick them over in your shop they're going to resent the shit out of you That's you true. got to make them want to come in there otherwise it's going to be oh, I'm not going to run that it's fucking going to be place Jeff for the ch- all over again you heard that episode that's for sure that's for sure <laughs> all right next dilemma comes from mike DePell. mike depel says my dilemma is do i quit my pretty good paying toxic shitty atmosphere job family business and become an eventually well-paid welder slash pipe fitter so he got a good job he it's a toxic environment he hates it and he wants to be a he wants to be a pipe fitter or welder you think it's a good idea This doesn't seem like that much of a dilemma.
1: To me, do what you want to do. Do what you love doing. And whatever that is, you're going to be engaged. And it's going to be, um, I feel like if you're doing something that you really want to do, you're going to enjoy doing it for, for a long time. And if you run out of steam, then switch it up.
0: I tried to get a union card a long time ago. And I was very, very close. I was in a metal shop. And we were working. It was uh we were working on a lot of union non-union jobs, and we were working mm-hmm. with, you know, the ornamental iron workers in New York. <laughs> Everyone seems to think that they're, you know, they're blacksmiths and they're welders. These motherfuckers are glazers. You know, most of the guys <laughs> in this in that union are glazers. Yeah. You know, nowadays all construction is uh, is like aluminum extrusions and glass and lots of right. you know setting glass and silver like gallon scissor lifts. Yeah, lots of caulking. Tons of caulk. All caulk all the time. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And I had an opportunity, I had an opportunity to get a card, and I just like, I zigged when I should have zagged, and I didn't, and I, I could have, and I always wonder would it have been a better, would it have been an easier life for me if I had gone into the union. And I know a lot of union welders, and I know a lot of union guys. I know that pipe fitters have it. I, I think that also pipe fitters have it a little bit easier because there's such extra, uh, extraordinary welders and stuff like that. Mike, you're a very good welder. I would go, for, I would go get that union card. I get that union card and, and and weld your way into some lay some pipe. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah.
1: My cousin is a um, he's a he welds refrigeration tubes and he travels all around i mean he had, he travels all around the country welding you know welding up jobs and he'll be he'll work for like 3 or 4 months or 5 months or at a job and then move around you know and he i mean as much as it's it doesn't sound ideal to me he loves it he loves the lifestyle and i think he loves he loves a lot of things about what it brings but i think right. he also just really loves welding and he likes being applied, he likes having something that's secure and if that's important to you, then yeah, I mean, I'd say go for it.
0: Okay, I'm gonna get back on track. because yeah, a little bit of a I get I was reading the wrong questions. <laughs> the past three questions weren't really the questions we were gonna read. I, I made a mistake. That's why. So I'm gonna get us back.
1: Did, that's why i never heard
0: of them before. <laughs> yeah, I said of the show. I said, I was reading the wrong show notes, ladies <laughs> and But it's fine. It's fine. It's all good. It's all good. All right. This next one. This was. This is. This is. This is a dilemma that I've heard that is one of the best written dilemmas I've ever heard. This is from Jonathan Hawk, at Jonathan Hawk. I'm a former former airborne infantry soldier who fell in love with jumping, skydiving, and after leaving the military, continued sports skydiving as a civilian. I've had hundreds of jumps that have gone off without a hitch, but I had one bad jump where we exited the plane too late and I ended up too far from the drop zone and had to land in a neighborhood. While avoiding to, while attempting to avoid a power line, this is getting, this is getting very harrow, harrowing. <laughs> while attempting to avoid a power line, I stalled the canopy. It collapsed, sending me burning into the ground, breaking four vertebrae and my ankle. After a fun little bout with mild paralysis, Jesus, <laughs> and, and enjoying the fruits of modern science and technology, I am completely healed and able to walk and live without nothing more than some obnoxious lower back pain. The dilemma I find is that once cleared by a doctor, immediately I could I wanted to return to jumping. The response from my family and friends was of disbelief. They couldn't fathom that someone would go back to skydiving after being injured. Doing so, the worst was my wife's response. She could not take worrying about me jumping and essentially deemed it a forbidden act. This uh, this had a side benefit of leading me to bladesmithing, for which uh, for. Uh, for which I thoroughly enjoyed, but it's not skydiving. Uh, I've been out of the sport for two years now and doing knife making thing instead, but I absolutely cannot get over the desire to jump her fears of me being injured have cost me skydiving motorcycles, cave and scuba diving and technical diving, all based on her fears of me being hurt. I understand the relationships are give and take, but at what point do I get to put my foot down and say enough is enough? She would prefer me sticking to me, uh, prefer me to, I stick to making knives and pursue what she seems, uh, as a safe, as safe compared to everything else I've always been interested in. I have no, um, I feel that no wife should ever be able to say the statement, I let you, um, as if they hold dominion over what a grown ass man does. This is, uh, with his time and money. So Mm -hmm. this guy fell out of a plane. Number one. Mm -hmm. If you join the army and your name is Jonathan Hawk, I fucking <laughs> I'm saluting you right now. That is the yeah. name of course they're gonna put you in an airplane, push you out of a, yeah, a, yeah. A, they're gonna push you out of a, a plane. Jonathan Hawk. <laughs> they, I'm surprised that they didn't just make you like a colonel, like right out of boot camp.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: That's a badass name. Be yeah, jumping out yeah. of planes. So yeah, what, do what do you think? What do you think? He wants to so he so his wife's nervous about him flying around and jumping out of things, and you don't want to hurt himself again. And she's making him, uh, making him not want to do the things he wants to do. What do you think?
1: Well, I'll tell you. Uh, this makes that when I read that question, it made me remember a story that um, when I was in high school, uh, I flew glider planes. What? And, yeah, yeah. I flew, I flew glider planes.
0: Was that the kind that you like? Uh, that they pull the plane pulls behind you?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, you, you, yeah, you, get, you get towed up by, a, by a, essentially like a crop duster, you know, a, a plane with a lot of torque. And you get pulled up, and then you, when you get to 3,000 feet, you, you, you release, and then you fly around. And, you know, you thermal just like a, um, or you find thermals, and it's called thermaling, where you, when you find a thermal, you circle it, as you, and, it rise, and you rise that way. That's how you climb. That's how, you know, that's how hawks do it. That's how eagles and all, all raptors um, fly around and soar. Anyway, super awesome thing, um, but the airport that I would do it at was like this very small airport in the middle of South Carolina, and uh, there was also a jump school at that same airport, but it was like on the other side of the runway. And I remember I was I had you have to you know when you when you're learning to fly you fly with an instructor and you're in the front and they're in the back and you fly for a long time until you until you solo. Once you're good enough to solo, then. You have to fly a certain number of hours by yourself in order to get your license. And I ended up never getting my license, but I did a lot of soloing. And one it was probably my third time soloing. And it it was fucking scary, even though you've done it a million times with an instructor, you know, and stuff. So I was up there flying, and I'm flying around, and I hear this huge boom. When I, I'm up like, I don't know, 4,000 feet circling around. I'd fly for like 40 minutes and then work my way back down, you know, back down to the ground. And you usually fly like three loops. You fly kind of three consecutive times just so, you, um, just because it's, you want to make the most of your time and right. whatnot. So, anyway, um, I think it's by the hour too. So, you know, you, you might sign up for a two hour slot and you get, it's enough for like three or four, you know, cycles. Anyway while I'm up there I heard this big boom I had no idea what it was come down to the ground and they they're like we're we're cutting it for the day and I was like why, why? What's, what's happening and they're like did you hear a giant boom and I said yeah yeah I heard it when I was up up in the air cause it's you know you think when you're fl- soaring that it's totally quiet cause there's no motor but it's not really totally quiet cause you hear the wind and stuff rushing right. by the plane you know so, anyway you can hear stuff and uh, they were like, you, that boom was somebody hit the ground, their chute didn't open. And they call it bouncing. So when you hit the ground, your chute doesn't open, you bounce. Because tech, they told me, I learned at that at that time, that when a body hits the ground, it bounces about six feet in the air, like as a rebound. What? Yeah. So, but it, this you know, I don't know how high you have to be to bounce, but I think if, once, you're, once you're at terminal velocity, you know, you smack the ground, you make this essentially this kind of sonic boom, crazy ass sound, and then you bounce six feet in the
0: air. Wait, so the boom is a sonic boom from hitting the ground? No, it's not. It's
1: not a sonic boom, it's, um, it, but it, it's, a, it's a boom. So that you that heard it sonic. from
0: 4,000 feet in the air?
1: I heard a, a man hit the ground. I heard him. I, the sound is him hitting the ground, which is crazy.
0: And he didn't just like, oh.
1: He was a bunch of pudding. I mean, he was, <laughs> he, he was toast. He's toe uh, up, huh? Yeah, it was, it was not good for him. Um, so that made me be like, you know what? Skydabbing seems fun and all,
0: but it's not for me. And did you have to jump out of it with a pair? What did you have to do in an emergency?
1: Who, me? Yeah, you. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, in the they don't emergency. Like, they don't make I, you? I'm in a plane, you know? like. Yeah, but there, with no fucking anything. There's no the emergencies emergency. in a plane? Well, I mean, with a glider, the only thing that could make you crash is your wing fall off, you know, or something. that. it's like that's not going to happen. And you know, then a if your engine stalls, you're just going to you don't have an engine, you know, so you just fly. Um, so it, it's actually pretty safe in terms of being able to fly and land. Now right. you could be in the you can be in a bad spot, and you could have to land in a like kind of like what um, John Hawk happened, where you have to land in a. An inconvenient place because you're like you miss your airport, you get lost or something. But
0: anyway, so so he his dilemma is he really wants to do these things, and yeah. I, I, he's starting to be resent. I think he, I mean uh, this is my opinion. I'm starting to feel resentment.
1: I feel resentment too.
0: So what and do you think?
1: think? Well, I think you you don't want to resent your wife, but I think you also you have to. Well, I think I think it's really important to do if you feel really passionate about doing something, then you should try to do it. If you know, but I think it's a negotiation. And if you're in a marriage or you're in a partnership that you respect and you value, you owe it to your partner to to talk about why, you know, to, to talk it through. I mean, um, if you really want to do it and she doesn't want you to do it because she's scared, then that's on her. And um, I feel like you need to sort of air that laundry and say, you know, you're being scared is keeping me from doing something I love. So, you know, um, where where can we find some some middle ground, or what what, can, what how can we negotiate this? Right. Because you know, if you want to be married and you want to skydive, you need you got to come up <laughs> with a plan. It's, it's, there's no yeah. two ways about it. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be a jerk, and you're going to make her mad, and she's going to leave. And don't, that's not And don't,
0: not good. And don't let her listen to this episode where, where Jamie's telling about the bouncing dude yeah, coming yeah, all out yeah. of a, don't don't don't, to that. Don't let her listen to that. I, I mean, I, honestly, when I the the only time I've ever had something similar happen to me, well, I've had a couple things happen. I, I, I'm going to just say when I was when as i married, I actually was uh, I came back from a, a trip. And i was very jet-lagged and i was trying to finish a knife and i really wanted to get back in the shop and i was so jet-lagged and i really was tired that i was i was cutting something and i and the i was pushing too hard um against the the bandsaw and i Mm. I bumped i bumped my my finger into the bandsaw and it was bad it was down the bone it was real bad and Mm. hillary my wife had to take me to the hospital and she was you know it was a mistake and it was an accident but what she did was, she said, "I don't want this happening again. If this is too dangerous, and this is something that I'm ex- going to be expected to deal with, we're going to have a problem." So what I tried to do was, I didn't. I knew I didn't want to say, "Oh, don't worry, it'll be fine." What I did was, I made a plan to have steps in place. To, I got my bandsaw. I got some safety features for my bandsaw. Yeah, I got it not. It's it. you know, it not pelled into a vise anymore. And I explained to her, here's what I'm gonna do, push dicks this, and I I gave, I showed her that I don't want this to happen again. And then I gave her a list of things to make her at ease in regards to allowing, not allowing me, but not giving me fritz about every time I'm gonna do this. You know, I've I've been in relationships where, Uh, you know, I had a, you know, without going too deep into it, but I mean, you know, I was going on, you know, I was doing a lot of fishing and it was very clear that, you know, (laughs) me, what are you smiling about? God damn it. Just keep, just keep, just keep it. And it, 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 and it felt like I was going fishing to avoid a relationship, which may or may not be true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with peace and love peace and love time has passed i'm with you mm-hmm. but i think that it's very important i think it's important to not be resentful i think it's important to ha- negotiate and to figure out ways in which you can do it and she's going to appreciate it and I'll let yeah. you not let you do it but feel okay with you doing it because what you don't want to do is you don't want to leave and she's going to be pacing the fucking house all the Definitely time not. give her give her some ho- give her some hope that it's not going to happen again and and i also think maybe you need to you, you 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 like these things that you like these you like what you like None of them sound interesting to me because I don't have a death wish, death wish. I don't <laughs> have a death wish And I, I honestly, it's like it all seems like it's too much. It's too much for me. Yeah. But I'm not you, and I just think that there's a way that you got you got to figure out something. And maybe you might want to think about marriage therapy. Only because it seems like there's a lot. This just seems like the tip of the iceberg. You know, this isn't like the kind of things like don't eat your soup with a fork. Shit. This is like, you know, this is like, hey, Harry. Yeah. You're Uh, you're into
1: into a medium. But I'm with you. I'm
0: with you. Uh, I'm with you, Jonathan Hawk. Uh, I just think that I can think. I think you can find a happy medium. Me where you got, where you can do the things you want to do but you got to like convince her and you got to show well we're not going to be jumping out of planes at the wrong time anymore. and I, I'm under the, also under the impression that skydiving is pretty safe.
1: It like, is. I think I mean, that, that's the thing. If you're everything like that, you're taking a lot there's a whole lot of precaution and, and sort of method that you use to to, you know to make sure that you're doing it's like all about technique and all about preparation so just talk with her about that stuff you know it's the same as motorcycle riding I, i ride motorcycles and obviously people get hurt riding motorcycles but i believe that if you're doing as much as you can to be safe you are taking your life into your own hands a little bit you know knowing that um Knowing that you're, you know, you're against the cars essentially, but yeah. if, if you if it's the same as using a table saw. I remember like when I learned how to use a table saw, the guy who taught me said, "As soon as you're not afraid of that motherfucker, it's gonna kill you." I know. You need to yeah. respect the table saw, and if you if you go through and like every time I use a table saw, I've never been hurt. Knock on wood. Uh. I'm very methodical about my movements and, and all this stuff because I know that as soon as you're not methodical, you could your your the, the safety factor goes you know way down. And, you know, help your wife understand all the things that you do to sort of, you know, keep take precautions to have that stuff
0: not have that stuff happen. I also might pick one of the thing the crazy things you want to do. Yeah. I wouldn't fucking unload on her no, and all would. of it. I'm going skydiving <laughs> into a d- diving with a, my motorcycle I'm gonna do all three at the same time. don't yeah. do that that's no. that's a little bit too much all yeah. right I, I'm with you I'm with you, man. Wife yeah maybe take her with you maybe she might like it. why don't you just take her to a swimming pool and then stick a snorkel in her mouth and maybe she want to go snorkeling with you or something yeah there you go there you go all right so the next question comes from um third shift this is a new one this one came right in hey jeff thanks for the show i'm finding it very entertaining Um, thank you for third shift my question slash dilemma is about style in my case i'm speaking about making knives but i think it applies to making just about anything how does an artist or a craftsman develop their own style? Is it something that happens naturally by trying to make different things? Or is it something that needs attention and thought to be developed? Thank you for your thoughts and time. So how do you create your own style? And this is perfect because, you know, you are an artist and I actually, if you did a painting, I could spot your painting and I could spot your style a mile mm. away. How do you develop your own style?
1: Well, I think, um, I think that your style is a, sort of a manifestation of you being true to yourself. And, um, in fact, I, I did a little bit of digging, and I, I found a few people who have something to say about style that I agree with. I thought I would share them with you. Let's hear it. And this one's from George Clinton, the master. Oh, P. George Fon, Clinton. This most, one of the most stylish, crazy-ass style dudes ever to walk the face of the earth. And every other planet, he says. Style is whatever you want to do if you can do it with confidence, and I totally agree with that. You know, it's like you you want to if you can like walk walk the walk, then that then your style just comes through. Um, Oscar Wilde, oh, who was also geez. a man of a crazy Look at style, you. Look at you. says. Uh, behind the perfection of a man's style must lie the passion of a man's soul and I feel like that's that's um, that's pretty pretty good too because it, it sort of reinforces the idea of being being true to yourself um if you if you just do if you if you're engaged in sort of a self-reflection and, and you're doing things that honestly you can you're you're pouring your heart into you're pouring your pat your your you know all your brain power and your heart and everything else pouring that into your style will just emerge and you will and in everyone be able to see it because it's essentially the you know the the manifestation of of what you're trying to do and i think if you're trying to ape somebody or um you know doing trying to i mean I, i remember that um when you know when you're learning about art at the very beginning that you have people like repeat, you know, or copy, copy styles and stuff. And then you end up, you end up mastering something and then modifying the mastery, you know, to, to use it for your own self. And
0: that's, um, it's, it's funny in the knife world is the knife world is super different because there are so many, they're not, there are only so many things you can really do. Yeah. Right. Right. And what happens is, is what you do is you end up seeing something that you like and you emulate it to a certain degree. It always happens. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's ha- it happens to everybody, you know, and, 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 you know, you, you start to think goes, oh, he's ripping me off. My honest opinion is in regards to building things and creating your own style is to see the things that you like and slowly see the things that you like that you make. You know, if you were talking about a painting, I like to do a paint in a certain, I, my painting, the way I paint is very different than the way a lot of people paint because I really try to do layers. I like to do layers and layers and layers. It's almost like printmaking. And that's a style that's given me a way to paint that I like that, the, what happens. So what I do is I make subtle changes to that technique that I do in regards to knife making. I think that it's really, really important, and also as a sculptor, to make very, very slight adjustments. And then what happens is every time you make something new, you're making slighter and slighter adjustments mm-hmm. until you come into something that's yours. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had people say to me that when they see my knives, they, they don't even... A lot of times when you deal with knife makers, you, you, you know the person's knife without having to see the touch mark. Like, mm-hmm. I know, I can identify, like, I, I can tell who's knives who w- w- of my friends because I just understand their style and you can yeah. kind of get certain things. And, and I think that in regards to creating your own style, I always think it's very important is to start very basic and then just kind of focus on little things and make mm-hmm. slight adjustments. And then that's also when you're an artist, that's what people want to see. They don't want you, to, they don't want to see you all of a sudden, you, you know, you're doing still lives and then tomorrow you're doing you know, something completely different. They want to see an evolution of your work and they want to see where, how you got from A to Z. They want to see all those little letters in between.
1: Yeah. I think um, that, well, I would also say that, you know, when I, when I see your knives, I, you know, we used to make knives just for fun or blade, you know, whatever bullshit, like fooling around in the metal shop. Yeah. And the shapes that come out of the, that sort of experimentation help me just or help, you know, a lot of people, but I your 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 style sort of started to emerge in my mind even then when we you right. know just fooling around. And so when I see like when I saw your bull elk knife that you made, I immediately thought, Of course that's Jeff Vader knife. Like yeah. it, it just looks like a Jeff Vader shape. You know, it's like a little it's angry but it's sexy and oh, I don't all know, right. I think things, things like that Jeez. are um, they, they come through. And right. I think they come through, like you said, if, if you're paying attention to all those little increments, you know, um, and I did I did read another quote that I think sort of backs that up or backs up your uh, your idea, Go ahead. which is someone says, uh, I guess I don't know this guy, but I think he's written a book on style. And I think he's talking about fashion, but I think it's the idea is you know, about exuding the style. He says, don't just steal the style, steal the thinking behind the style. Wow. You don't want to look like your hero. You want to you want to see like your hero, and I feel that's like that's awesome. awesome because you know you're you're telling yourself. I mean, everyone's looking at all the shit that's out there. You know, that's right. just the nature of having the internet and the nature of being exposed to the the world that it that's you know that the wide world that we live in. Um, but you know, to just try to copy somebody, yeah is never going to work, but if you can copy the thinking, I mean, it's not going to work and and be fulfilling.
0: Yes, right. I mean, there's- If you can
1: can understand what they're getting at or how they got there, then you're on your your way.
0: That's the biggest problem in the knife-making world is it's hard to kind of, like, you see what you like to see yeah. I mean, I've, I've made knives that are like, there's a lot of, I've, I've had influence. I've been influenced by certain things. And sure. I, I think it's just important. I think it's important. I, I, I'm very big in ter- terms of the, my focus point is I like transitions i like contrast i like you know i really try to think about it the way i used to make sculpture in -hmm. regards to proportions and i mean there's not it's none of the none of my knives are perfect proportion there's always i want a little bit of the handmade quality to it i want a Mm -hmm. little bit of the kind of a little bit of oddity to it but i i understand i I think the most important part is i I love that last quote i I think we should just i should have shut up after that (laughs) one. all right We got two more questions and then I got a surprise for you. All right. The next question is, here's a good one. This one comes from Kyle Heath. Only dilemma I have is should I get my test, my testicles, not my testicles, my, my tube snipped, my testy tube snipped (laughs) Oh or should I pull the goalie and go for number child number three? I've always been set on two kids, but my one-year-old is making me want to have another just like her. Should he get a vasectomy, Jamie?
1: Well, I think he should he should think about what what's making him feel like number three is gonna you know satisfy his ego trip,
0: yeah,
1: because to me, you never know what you're gonna get with kids, you know uh I know a parent who was they they had their first kid was so awesome and they were just like, man, we are the fucking best parents ever we we must be talking about
0: you? Are you talking about your family." <laughs> No, not so you and your brother, is it? No, definitely okay. not. Okay, one hundred percent not.
1: But this this could apply, I suppose, if my parents thought that about me, which I doubt they did. Um, but my friends, they were like, you know, we are we are geniuses. We are parent geniuses. We got to have a second. We owe it to the world to make an, a, another one because we we can we can make such amazing parents that uh, makes such amazing children. And they made number two, and he was a fucking terror. And they were like. Well, immediately they say we have nothing to do with this. <laughs> this this is just a crapshoot, right? And um, I mean I don't know I I feel like there's so many un- unwanted kids in the world. If you really want a third, adopt one.
0: There's, That's a good idea. The
1: population has, tri- has doubled since I've been on this earth. You don't need more. We don't need make more babies.
0: <laughs> you Hear that, Kyle? <laughs> Jamie says Jamie says get your old balls. Get you them twisted. Don't yeah, get them twist twisted. them up. I got a vasectomy. Did I ever tell you that? No. <laughs> this, is, this conversation is taking a turn. Nice. Well, the funny the thing is, if you, you know, you know me, you know me and my family pretty well, and yeah. all of a sudden, after saying that, I am fucking hot. I, I'm <laughs> hot in this car right now. I'm getting sweaty. I can't believe I said it. Might as well tell the story. So, I have my dad's been was married a couple times and a couple few times and. Uh, And he had a couple fucking kids, you know, and, you know, and I got sisters in different marriages and, and I always felt like I didn't want to be in that position. I wanted to have, I wanted to just be like, I'm not interested in, I'm not interested in getting remarried. I'm not interested in having other children. And I just, and it was also at the time where when we had our first kid, we, you know, we, we have, we have a modest living. I mean, we, 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 we're living in a house. We're paying our bills and stuff like that. We're not living on, but we're not like, you know, I ain't pulling up in a, you know, I'm sure my, all my cars have been trades on sculpture. I'm not, I'm not on easy street. So I've always felt like I would rather us spend our money on our one kid to be able to make sure that we can save so she can go to college. And I want to really focus on her financially. And I was always afraid of, we were always afraid. And I think that my wife wanted to have another, I I know that my wife for a while, we wanted to have another kid. And it was just like, it got to the point where I was like, I just don't want to put us in. I don't want to put the, that child in a position where, where they're not getting all of our love and yeah. our support financially too. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know how it happened, but I, you know, I went to get a vasectomy, and, <laughs> you, I, woke I, I, up my, and you had a vasectomy. Well, I mean, it, we, you know, the funny <laughs> thing was was we we had a. This is a funny story. So <laughs> when you go to get it done. You know they got it puts you on your back on a on a table, and there and they, and the this guy old guy comes in and pulls your you pull your pants your underpants down and you, you're lying flat on your back, and he starts to grab on your testicles in a way that is not normal. Not, you, don't, yeah. you don't you don't you don't grab on your balls like this. Your girl don't grab on your balls like this. Your boy yeah. nobody's grabbing on your balls the way a, a yeah. urologist is grabbing up on your balls. You're pinching on them. They're twisting on there looking for they're looking for things they're looking for things that you just like man I, this is just I not touch. really what I want to be doing you know and he's feeling for like he fell for my tubes he fell for my tubes and he said he felt for my tubes he says you have very fine Vast deferent, and I didn't know if that was a compliment <laughs> or he was—he was just saying they weren't coarse. They oh. were fine, as in the fin or they were fine. Your vast deferens are looking. Your vast are looking fine. So, so I never it was always just a strange thing. And they're like they're twisting on them, and they're looking for shit in, in your yeah. scrotum So I mean, this oh, is like yeah. it's like trying to find your. Imagine your wallet is in your shirt. And you gotta kind of open your wallet up in your, sh- but you can't go through the shirt. It's like you're trying to find your credit card through a shirt. Yeah. It, they, I don't know what the fuck he was doing, and I, I was convinced he twisted some balls around. I, yeah. It was, it was yeah. a, it was a, it was not a pleasant experience. And when he yeah. said, "You have a very fine desk, Steffren, Basteffren," I said, "Why? Well, thank you. you. Of course," I said, "Why? Thank you." So, so that was that, and then, and then. Um, you know he said all right for the so i said listen i cannot they are were, we're gonna we you have a choice you can you can be awake or we can knock you out and i said you're gonna have to knock, knock me out yeah, there's bro. no way there's no way i can barely handle you fidgeting with my <laughs> testicles right now i'm not gonna be able to, if i'm awake watching you and a dude cut my ball yeah, sack no. open that ain't gonna, that, no one's gonna want to see that yeah you know, i don't even want to look in my in, in, a, in, a, in somebody's mouth let alone see what the inside of my balls look like So I said, knock me out. So he said, so what you got to do is what you got to do is when you come in on the day of, you have to be, you have to shave this area or just shave Mm -hmm. everything. Mm. So I shaved everything, and yeah, it looked yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> <go back> to, <laughs> I mean, I look—I look like, like a—I a forty-year-old like baby. <laughs> it was <laughs> so stupid. I looked so stupid, and they complimented me on the shave job, and I thanked them once again. After you know, I mean, come on, man. So I had it. It wasn't a big deal. I, my wife picked me up. I was you know stoned out of my mind and stuff like that. And then the funniest part was, I um got home and it's, it wasn't a big recovery. It was like, I just like spent like a day just lying down with like, they always tell you get some frozen peas and stick them on your nuts to let the <laughs> swelling go down. And it wasn't a I mean, it, it wasn't a huge deal and it wasn't a big deal. And, it, and, and just to let you know, there was no noticeable difference after everything was healed up. But they did say that you had to jerk off 15 times before you could come up to come into the next meeting because they got to measure your sperm count. So you got to count how many times you got to jerk off before you come in to make sure you don't have any, you know, a couple of leftovers in in the chamber. Uh-huh. Yeah, there could be a couple leftovers that you just didn't realize. I mean, they, uh-huh. they just cut the tubes, but you might be fully loaded anyway. So mm-hmm. they got so you can't. Fifteen so, so,
1: times, and they say that your appointment's tomorrow. So get no,
0: no, they gave you some time, but they wanted you uh-huh. to make sure you make sure you really clear the t- clear the. You know, it's like in the, in, when you're buying milk; they want to make sure that the date, the sell-by date's good. They don't. They want to have a. They want to have a clear clear. They want your balls clear. So when I was like home, when you get a package
1: nowadays, and for the COVID, you gotta let it sit for a couple
0: of days. You gotta let it sit for a couple of days; you get you the virus extra. That's right. die. That's right. That's right. So so the funniest part was I just didn't we didn't talk. I mean, it wasn't something you talked. I mean, this was like the first time we really talked about it. It was really like you know, it wasn't a big deal. And um, somehow I got on the phone with my mother, and <laughs> I told her before I was having the exam when I was having the surgery. I said, I said to her, I'm gonna be having. A, I'm gonna just let you know. I'm having a procedure done. I'm fine. Everything's going to be fine. And that's just that's all I'm going to say. And she <laughs> said, well, what are you having done? And I'm like, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> and it, and it's, and it's it was like, continue. I was like, I'm telling you it's not a big deal. And she goes, well, I, I'm your mother. I should know what's happening. And I said, Mom, I'm telling you it's fine. It's not a big deal. Just let's leave it alone. So I got off the phone with her. And then, uh, and then a day passed. I had the surgery and then I'm home and my mother calls me up in a panic. She says, I just want you to know, I haven't slept in 24 hours. I've been pacing the house. I feel, I feel like you're not telling me that you have cancer. I'm feeling, I'm feeling Mm -hmm. like you, I'm your mother and I deserve to know what type of medical procedures that you've had. I need to know. I need to know. I said, mom, I didn't, I don't have cancer you don't don't worry about it She goes, I did and she just fucking I need to know I'm your mother I need to know I need to know I need to know so okay mom I had a vasectomy mom silence this kind of silence it's like are you happy now are you happy now now you know why mm-hmm. I had a procedure and I had a fucking vasectomy she goes well why did you do that I was like I, the asshole this isn't really what I wanted to talk about yeah. I'm just telling yeah. you so the answer is go get yourself a vasectomy <laughs> or have another kid I that's your dilemma. <laughs> there you go. We <laughs> I mean, didn't answer that, Kyle. Just I segued into how I had my, you know, testicles pitched. All right. Mm. Last serious question. Last serious question. This one comes from anonymous. And if you wanna, if you wanna ask dilemmas and real questions, and you wanna make sure that you don't, you know, somebody doesn't, somebody doesn't find out, like you know, Kyle's wife <laughs> wanted to know if he should have a vasectomy or not. If you want to be anonymous, just tell me you want to be anonymous, I'll make sure you're anonymous. All right, so I'm in a real pickle. Last summer, I was supposed to move from Denver to Florida, and my girlfriend of two years decided to move with me. The problem is that a few days before we were supposed to leave, her stuff had already been shipped, my dad got in a climbing accident and went into a coma. He's okay now. So my girlfriend moved, and I had to stay with my dad. We tried long distance relationships and finally broke up when I visited in February. I finally moved back to Florida the other day and I went on a hike with her and we had an amazing time. But she has a boyfriend there. I'm still in love with her. And despite all the bad stuff that happened with the long distance, we're both going to be going to the same college next year. And she'll be leaving this guy she's dating behind. So it can't be too serious. How can I win her back? And I'm mm-hmm. just going to tell you this. Jamie and I are the perfect people to tell you this answer. <laughs> well, perfect. Yeah. You're perfect. Don't you remember how we uh, we we, uh, we we won your wife over. Remember? You called True. me up and you called me up and said, "I want a night. I was working in a restaurant and we gave her the full blast treatment. Don't you remember? Yeah, the
1: full blast full blast. You you helped me seal
0: the deal." Yeah, we it was your first date. And when you told him, he called me up and said, I got this girl I really like. I want to take her on a date. I need to give her a special treatment. And you came down to the restaurant, and I rolled out the red carpet for
1: her. Hell, you did. Heck, yeah, you did. No, that's – I think that's that, – that is a beautiful, a beautiful memory. But I don't think you can win anyone's heart. I think – I think that if, you know, you – if you're in love with this girl, and she's in love with you, and you're in the same place, it's gonna work out. And but she's but I feel like if you're not, if you're not talking about it, I mean, you gotta tell her how you feel. And if she wants to, if she's into it, then she'll 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 forget about that other dude. But you know, um, if you sit on your affections and let them stew or let him turn into some sort of obsession or stalker on the, you know, stalking social media or something. It's d- never d- going to said out anything good.
0: about that. He never said anything about being a stalker mm-hmm. or anonymous. No. Okay. He's okay. With me,
1: <laughs> I'm not, I'm saying if it's it doesn't work out and he's thinking about how he's going to win her back, he might start to sort of employ some strategy and I just feel like any strategy is no good. You just got to tell her that you're into her. And if, if she's not into you, then she'll tell you if she's not in, if she's into you or if she's into the, if she's still into the idea, then it'll, 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 it'll work itself
0: out. See, I disagree. I think you need a little strategy. I think you need to grease the wheels a little bit. I think there needs to be a little bit of chicanery going on. I think you need to, you need to throw out the side. Listen, this is all I appreciate. He's right. If she wants to be with you, she'll be with you. But we can do a little bit of coercion with some good deeds you that's know true. you can write her something nice you send her something thoughtful think about the things that she likes to do and without I mean
1: that's, getting, just, that's just showing you that that showing her that you care
0: fine and whatever it takes good.
1: that's good I think that's good it, being disingenuous or trying to dream up a scheme is ne- not a good,
0: not a good uh, scheme, that's not a scheme I think this is good bullshit this is, you gotta right. throw on the charm
1: I you gotta
0: I think that you, of course, if you're sitting on your couch and you're 500 pounds with Cheetos hanging out of your mouth (laughs) and you think she either likes me or she doesn't like me, you clean yourself up, you know, try to make yourself look good, try to give her the best impression, show that you care, and win her ass back. I'm with you 100% anonymous. I'm convinced that you got to do whatever. I I disagree with Jamie. I think you got to do whatever it takes. I I think you can't sit on your laurels. I think you got to work. I think you got to work it out. Do something hard. I mean, when well, you do something hard, I mean, do something good. You know, do something yes. thoughtful. Don't just show up with your dick hanging out. and say, Hey, baby, come on. <laughs> I mean, that's, you can't that's do that. It's probably not gonna work. Come, come, look at the finest, def, vast, deaf in Florida. Come on, you know.
1: Well, I feel like there's there's a lot. I have a lot of hope for them anyway, because if they if they have this connection, obviously, and they go on this hike and they're into one another when they're on the hike. Joe Blow is going to be left at home. They're going to be at college together. It sounds like it sounds like a pretty positive outlook just based on that
0: information. You know I agree. I mean? It's a positive outlook. You got to do whatever it takes. I'm just saying. I'm saying that it's naturally going to progress, but you can po- give it a couple of pushes with some some nice generous things. And don't do the flowers and the chocolate. Girls don't like that. You got to do. You got to find, You got to know what she really really likes, yeah, and, and, and not that she told you she really, really likes. You pay have attention. to observe something that yeah, you know. You pay, she attention. Likes. pay
1: attention.
0: Pay attention. Find something that you know she likes. She'll say something. She'll say, "I read a book." And here's this guy said her the book. Yeah. You, you think about something. Really think about what she's saying, and then capitalize on the things that she likes. And you can really push. You can push this thing through. I'm mm-hmm. a little bit more. I'm a little bit more. Uh, I'm a little bit more about the scheming. I think you should scheme it a little a, bit. I don't think that needs to,
1: it doesn't sound so much scheming. That just sounds like you're just, um, you're being proactive.
0: You're being proactive. You hear that? I think. Ananim- anonymous is going to happen. You got to do whatever it takes. And sometimes what it takes, well, you got to do whatever it takes. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I'm <laughs> with you. you gotta, sometimes, you, some, to, to quote my friend, John Ledford, and I think he got this from the Navy SEAL, sometimes, sometimes your best isn't good enough. Sometimes you got to do whatever it takes. You got to <laughs> do whatever it takes, anonymous. And I believe in you. Winner back. Yeah. That's it. Well, I got a surprise for you, Jamie. Oh no. I got a story from a friend of ours that you haven't spoken to in a while. Oh, and right. he wanted to he wanted to provide a story for us to talk about. Amazing. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to read this comes from our friend Dave Lecompte
1: all right
0: dlc D- dlc
1: in the house
0: dave lecomp was a we was an art major with us we used to fish with him all the time he's out in california and, and, and uh he's he's uh he's doing great and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna i'm gonna read you the story that he wanted uh, wanted me to read okay dear what's up y'all figured it needed to be uh this needed to be chronicled properly true and and this is not for the faint of heart it was a beautiful autumn saturday morning not three weeks ago and I rose, I rose up early, exciting to have a day off. I had been practicing the cleansing fast in order to get rid of my colon, bowels, in order to get rid of my colon, bowels, intestines, et cetera, of 29 years of stagnant accumulation that <laughs> resulted from a healthy American diet. He said a healthy American. Yeah, I was cool. gonna say that
1: does not sound so healthy he?
0: Yeah, he's, 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 he don't want he wanna. You yeah. don't wanna go
1: out like Elvis.
0: Right. The fast must last for at least 10 days, and it consists of liquid only, including laxative teas at night, and chugging a quart of salt water each morning to help rinse. I'm, and needless to say, needless to say, a lot of delightfully explosive diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: you, can't, you can't go away from the bathroom when you're doing those salt water cleanses. No.
0: I wouldn't know. Already... Trust me. already having shat twice that morning I sensed another rumble in the jungle (laughs) so I assumed the position for round 3 and I gazed between my legs to inspect my creation a fun and unavoidable practice because the product is always curious especially knowing what lies beneath has been caked inside me for years possibly decades I saw what I thought was a steady stream of liquid steady liquidy stream coming out of me only I didn't feel anything coming out and it didn't stop. I stood up and it stood up with me. I could tell now I could tell now that it wasn't liquid, but it was a soft thin twine which extended down into the soupy slop. My, my heart skipped a beat and I wanted whatever it was sausage casing from 1988. Maybe I wanted it out of me. So I grabbed a couple squares of Charmin, I reached down and I started pulling. I stopped pulling after two feet came out, yet the item remained intact. I was very scared now. (laughs) I wish you could see Jamie, he's taking his glasses off, he put his hands in his face. Could this cursed diet? intended to free my organs of foreign matter, actually be ridding me of my intestinal system? <laughs> it was a very thin, transparent, and segmented, so I knew it couldn't be artificial, yet it resembled no animal, vegetable, or mineral mineral I had ever encountered. After careful reassessment, I began retrieving it from the bowl, hand over hand, I gathered it into the TP, about 12 feet of it. I didn't want to cut it off in case it was something that had to be reinserted, and I was totally freaked out. <laughs> I thumbed through the Macmillan Visual Dictionary section of anatomy, resolving that it could be, um, it couldn't, po- it, resolving that it could possibly be part of my insides, and it was now on my outsides and <laughs> might have to go back inside. So he thinks he pooped out his <laughs> organs. I dialed nine, I dialed nine one one, and the ambulance was en route. I now gathered in the Charmin, I gathered it in the Charmin and I tucked my tickly little curiosity into my taint and pulling on some <laughs> spandex shorts, <laughs> figuring if I wore normal boxer shorts, it might fall out a leg. I lit a smoke and recalling an episode wherein the sexiest woman in Minneapolis, also an ear, nose and throat specialist, pulled a dime-sized clump of wax hair dirt out of my ear. I started to smoke and I prayed that the ambulance drivers would be male. When they pulled up, uh, out hopped the drivers and attendant, both middle-aged males. I sighed in relief. When that happened and then out of the back of the ambulance, the sexiest, the second sexiest woman in Minneapolis shows up. Damn it. Unable to salvage any pride at this point, I answered their questions, hoping they won't have to see it. Then they asked how much I've excreted And he says, about 10 to 12 feet. After a brief shocked silence, uh, they rushed me to to the ambulance uh, and off to the hospital. The four of us, the four of us all talking about the absurdity and joking about the uniqueness of my situation. The ride and the humor helped calm me. And even the gorgeous intern grasping my arm as she inserted the IV was soothing. Things were looking up. Once at the hospital, I was wheeled into room number one, and directly next to the nurse—it was directly next to the nurse's station, which only uh, which only had curtains for walls. I had to reiterate the conditions and the concerns to numerous personnel after spending five minutes um, convincing them that I'm not gay and this was <laughs> that this foreign matter isn't a result of some twisted escapade. I pulled the shorts down and. Uh, this was a, a specifically horrifying because not only did I have a four yard long slimy dew ridden mystery tale, but in my panic, I had never got around to wiping mm. <laughs> never the wise choice. But after suffering the green apple splatters, it was downright ugly. I lay on my side, uh, as, as two nurses unwrap and expect and inspect the suspected organ and then one of them says, it looks like a tapeworm.
1: Yeah.
0: I never thought hearing those words could bring me such joy into my heart. I love sushi and spending a month in Mexico this spring. So I spent, uh, I love sushi and I spent a month in Mexico this spring, so mystery is solved. Things were looking very up temporarily. They leave and immediately I hear murmuring at the nurse's station. The only words I can decipher are tapeworm and parasite. There's a knock on the curtain and it's the third nurse. She says, can I see? I said, sure, help yourself. Then she parks her ugly mug next to my splatter-laden, vermin-infested keister. I said, and tell your friends. Apparently, she took that seriously because two more nurses and a doctor stop by to pay my little buddy and me a visit. And no fine um, oratory lacks a coup de gras. After another knock on the curtain, I should be selling tickets. It's one of the ambulance drivers, and behind him, the beautiful intern. Again, we joke, all, sem- all semblance of dignity is gone, and it's all I can do. The diagnosing nurse returns, dons rubber gloves, and starts yanking on the worm. Again, hand over hand. And all I can say is having inch after inch, foot after foot of slimy twine pulled from your large intestines, where it lives, through the colon, rectum, sphincter, and anus, it feels weird. <laughs> it's slimy soft and a quarter inch wide. It doesn't hurt, and the experience is far too absurd to invoke any sexual association, it's just weird. Especially considering the mouth, uh, Scolex, is still attached to my large intestines. So tugging, I feel my abdomen literally is, something is trying to pull my large intestines out through my asshole. <laughs> Despite having extracted five or six more feet, we're up to seven, 16 to 17 feet at this point. The nurse kept tugging and something had to give. Luckily there was there was a uh, luckily it was warm, and I felt and heard a powerful snap. Free at last. Upon request, they rolled in a porta potty for round four and I sat there laughing. Now blessed that my wacky fast, um, as I let loose uh, a liberating, noisy smelling public stewer, knowing that a rope knowing that the rope a dope worked, and that I had knocked, <laughs> no, make that blown out my wormy opponent. The result, I had to take deworming medicine, I had to poop in plastic bags four times. It was supposed to be three, but I accidentally peed a little bit in one, rendering it superfluous. <laughs> I had to dig around in my stool to re- <laughs> retrieve a small spoonful. Spoon supplied uh, from the front, middle, and end of each log. So he had uh, he had to check oh, the different yeah. parts of it yeah. uh, to fill six uh, sample vials to be tested for the presence of other parasites. I learned that descending, um, depending on the source, between 70 and 90 percent of general popul- of the general population currently hosts some sort of parasite. I got mine from raw wild salmon. And he said it's Diphylobrothum latum from wild raw salmon. I learned that Diphtho. Uh, Diphyltho. Fuck, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It can live in the final hosts, humans or bears, undetected. None of the usual tapeworm side effects like weight loss or constant hunger. They subsist on uh, B12 for up to three years. And they can achieve lengths of up to 32 feet long. (laughs) Best of all, you you look like you dropped a little color out of your face. Um, Best of all, I made some new friends with the funny, uh, with this funny story. And I heard some in return. Once uh, a friend of my sister-in-law was enjoying the move, uh, a movement, looked down and saw a foot of worm hanging out of the back of my ass, only to see it immediately slither back up inside of him. (laughs) Funny stuff. Sorry, the long, uh, uh, so then I asked him how old he thought it was, and he says, how old he thinks it was, and he was, and he said, um, without the cleanse, it would have grown up to be, it would have grown to about thirty feet and died, and it would have uh, slowly shat out. You would have never even known. I asked a nurse uh, if I could keep it, and she looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> that is a, that was on unbel- I mean, can you imagine? Damn, that's tough. That's a tough one. I have a joke about tapeworm. My grandfather told me. Well, hear sure. it? Yeah. <laughs> My mother's father. So this guy, guy went to the hospital. The doctor and they said, "You have a sir. You have a tapeworm." He said, "What should I do?" He says, uh, "Well, what I want you to do is every night I want you to. I, well, first of all, I want you to starve yourself. I don't want you to eat anything. And then at night, I want to give you. I want you I have a cookie. And on the third night, <laughs> I want you to give him an orange." <laughs> How much you to give him orange? <laughs> so the first night, the, the doctor said, Alright, so he goes home, and he says, I gotta get, hey, I can't eat anything except for a couple of cookies and an orange. So the first night he's hungry so hungry, so hungry, and then he just kinda of like eats the cookie, and he eats the cookie, and he eats the cookie, and then he's and then the and then the next day, the same thing. He just all he has is that one cookie. And then the third day, he, he has a cookie. And on the fourth day, he's like, oh, "This is, I'm fucking hungry. I got to get rid of this goddamn thing. This is supposed to work. So he takes an orange, and he starts to eat the orange. And the tapeworm comes out and says, what, no cookie? <laughs> it's fucking terrible. I got to stop telling <laughs> jokes. I have terrible at telling jokes. Oh, so, nice. Jamie. I, I had to give. I had. To, I feel like I, I. feel like I sucked a little bit of the life out of you with that last DLC story.
1: No, it, it made me just. I, I. I remember a tape arm story from my friend's dad, and it was just sort of conjuring up all kinds of imagining Dave pulling a quarter inch rod out of his ass for thirty <laughs> feet, and there was a lot of a lot of visuals that were happening
0: in my brain. Well. Yeah jamie you no know that he's okay yeah he's okay he's okay he's out there okay he's now he knows now he knows he knows not to eat that raw wild salmon yeah. jamie I can't thank you enough for, for joining me. You are my friend. You are you are a wonderful human being and I and 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 I love you. And uh and
1: I love you too, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. I, I'm so thankful that you invited me to do this with you and I hope I didn't screw it up too bad.
0: You didn't screw it up at all. I mean <laughs> I mean the zipper whatever you're doing with the zipper five seconds ago wasn't optimal, but it's fine. maybe <laughs> you were like playing with a zipper or something. I don't know what you were doing. Me neither. All right. So, do you is there anybody is there anything you want to promote? you you just
1: um, I think we should promote um, paying attention to what you say. Uh, being 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 an active citizen in the world is a very important thing. I, I had not given this much thought. So I'm just I'm going, I'm shooting from the hip.
0: I like shooting from the hip.
1: I know you do. Um, but I think you know this, we live in a crazy ass world right now, and uh, it, it's really important to. Um, to think about, you know, all the stuff that's happening and, um, and your, your role in it because everybody's got a role in it. Um, but other than that, just be, be real, keep, keep, keep happy do what you love and hug, hug who you love.
0: And if you want to follow Jamie, you go to field desk on Instagram. He's doing all, he's doing all sorts of yoga where he puts his shirt on and his pants on upside down. <laughs> doing, he's doing all, He plays the banjo. He's definitely field desk, field desk, right?
1: That's it. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, buddy, and thank you, everybody else. If you want to get in contact with me, follow me on Instagram at uh, the Full Blast Podcast, and you can DM me questions, you can DM me uh, dilemmas, anything you want me to talk about. I'm trying to keep this a little bit light, so, you know, anything you want to talk about, I don't have to talk about. It. We talk about whatever you want. I, I might not. Don't be offended if I don't pick it. <laughs> Just That's all <laughs> I have to say. So with that said, thank you so much, everybody. Go follow us on Instagram, Knife Talk. Uh, knife Talk. Fuck that.